Hey everyone, I just want to take a minute to tell you about my Amazon number one best-selling book, Culture of Excellence. How do culture and leadership impact the performance of a team? For the past 30 years, one organization in baseball has stood taller than all of the rest, the New York Yankees. In Culture of Excellence, Colin Sumelia, that's me, takes us inside baseball's most successful franchise to uncover compelling and useful lessons in leadership. Culture of Excellence is transformative in its premise. It shares strategies you will want to apply and knowledge you can acquire to effectively improve your team and motivate your people. With three foundational pillars, you can become a more effective leader and build a culture of excellence through stories from the Yankees. And you can purchase your copy of Culture of Excellence from any online retailer. There are hard copy, ebook, and audiobook versions available. You can also purchase a hard copy of the book directly from me, and I will personalize it for you and send you swag items like a bookmark and a sticker. Head over to www.talent409.com backslash culture of excellence to view all of your options and learn how you can discover your talent altitude through my book, Culture of Excellence. Welcome to the Dynamic Leaders Podcast. I am your host, Colin Cernelia. Thank you for joining us today, and please head over to talent409.com to learn more about how we can help your team with their leadership and culture development. Wherever you are in the world, and whether it's the seven pillars of dynamic leadership, culture pyramid building, or anything else, let our team of experts help you discover your talent altitude. This podcast is available on Spotify, Amazon, YouTube, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. You can help the show grow by taking a minute and leaving a rating and review on your podcast listening platform, or by sharing this episode with a friend and on social media. And on to episode 132 of the Dynamic Leaders Podcast. Today, I have a special edition episode for you as I sit down with Claudio Relzono. Claudio is the author of the book, Lead from the Heart Up, Not the Neck Up. He's also a general manager and professional baseball scout for the Global Scouting Bureau. He's the head baseball coach at Carnegie Mellon University, and he's the host of the Claudio Relzono Show, where Claudio interviews sports legends of the 1970s, 80s, and 90s, and talks with friends about sports topics. Claudio is one of the nicest people I think I've ever met. He has an amazing heart, which doesn't surprise me that heart is part of the title of his new book. And he's got some amazing connections through baseball, some amazing stories that he shares as well as his expertise in leadership and in coaching. So let's dive right into where him and I started this conversation. Go check out Claudio on social media. You can see that in the show notes and you can visit his website to purchase a copy of his book for the Christmas holiday. Without further ado, here is my conversation with Claudio Relzono. All right. Well, um, I'm a lucky guy, Colin. I really am. My my prayers and work consist of thank you. Um, August 19th, 1973, I went to my very first Pittsburgh Pirate game. Uh, my, my parents, Olindo and Ida, were from Italy, and uh, they weren't big uh, baseball fans at all. I didn't know anything about baseball other than about Roberto Clemente uh, and his passing. So going to that game that day, uh, long story short, you know, I saw this big, beautiful building, the stadium, and my uncle worked inside uh, something called the Allegheny Club, which was basically a restaurant inside of the Three River Stadium where you can watch the games. Okay. And uh, he took me down to the Allegheny Club, and I saw these pictures of all these famous athletes who I didn't know who they were, other than Babe Ruth and Clemente. And then uh, then he takes me downstairs in the locker rooms, and I see these big guys in these bright white uniforms and joking around and horsing around and saying hello to me, and I didn't know who they were. Then I kind of snuck onto the field. I was by my, my myself and, and the uh, grounds crew, and Three River Stadium was a big place, about fifty-eight thousand seats, empty, just me there. And <laughs> and something was going on, called right then and there. I, I knew 
that something was going on, that something that I wanted to be in this atmosphere. And this is before the game even started. I remember going home and uh, didn't say a word. You know, I left my house thinking about Batman and Iron Man, you know, and then I came back with a dream. I, okay. I knew what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. And that was being professional baseball. So my dad uh, asked me, said, did you have a good time? I said, I did. I said, but I know what I want to do with the rest of my life. And I remember I was eight years old and he said, uh, what's that? I said, well, I want to be a professional baseball. And he said, okay, if that's what you want to do, me and your mom will do everything we can to make your dreams come true. And then my mom said, yeah, whatever you need from us, as long as you're a good boy, you don't get hurt. And again, I was eight years old. Um, you know, we'll be there for you. And so I tell that story because you ask about me, you know, I, I can't say anything about me without my parents. Um, sure, sure. Because, you know, they say, if you ever see a turtle on top of a fence post, you know, he didn't get there alone. Um, wherever it is that I'm at in life, um, if it wasn't for my parents, I, I wouldn't be doing it. And, and that's, I scout professionally. Uh, for the Global Scouting Bureau. I'm, I'm a general manager and a professional baseball scout since 2001. And I've been head coach at Carnegie Mellon University since 2005. Um, I host a podcast, which I can't wait to have you on. Looking forward to that, where I interview a lot of uh, sports legends from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Um, I, uh, I do that. I do a couple TV shows here in Pittsburgh. I host a boxing show. I'm co-host of something called Steel City Sports World, which we talk a lot about, you see, Pittsburgh sports. And then I also do, uh, this year's our first year, we do a show called uh, Pittsburgh Steeler Pre-Snap. It's a pre-game show for the Pittsburgh Steelers. So I do that, I do some speaking, and I just finished writing a book, um, Lead from the Heart Up, Not the Neck Up, How to Create a Positive Winning Culture in the, in, on the Field and in the Office. So um, I'm busy. I do a lot of things. <laughs> I do some speaking and uh, do a lot of things. And I, I enjoy all of it. And as I said at the beginning of this, uh, I'm, my, my prayers consist of thank you. I'm very grateful and blessed to be doing what I'm doing from where it started August 19th, 1973 as an eight year old to where it's at Colin. I'm it's, uh, it's just amazing. And, and real quick that day, that day, and this is one of the topics I speak about things can happen in life. The, the starting pitcher was named Jim Rooker. Okay. Jim and I are very good friends. We played a lot of celebrity golf tournaments together and I, I hired him to work some of our scouting events. The first baseman, his name was Al Oliver. He and I were inducted in the same Hall of Fame, and I believe in 2014. Rennie Stennett was the second baseman. He and I are friends. He invited me to the 79 Pirate World Series reunion last July, and the left fielder's name was Willie Stargell, and I won a Willie Stargell Lifetime Achievement Award a few, uh, award a few years ago. So nice. if, you'd have told, if you'd have told that eight-year-old kid <laughs> – Back then, hey, come here. This, these things are going to happen. I said, oh, you're crazy, you know. <laughs> but things can happen in life. So, yeah, no, that that's that's awesome, and and it really resonates with me just how impactful your parents were to you know where you are today. And and I wrote in my book in the acknowledgments that one of the reasons that I'm such a big baseball fan and as a result, such a big Yankee fan is because when the Yankees won the world series in 1996, my parents bought my brothers and I, the 1996 world series home video. Wow. And if you've ever seen any of those major okay. league baseball productions, I mean, it's like sports center on steroids. It's the, it's all the highlights. It's uh, player interviews, coach interviews, things like that. And for whatever reason, what was I seven year old Colin at the time just loved that video. And as a result, I'd already been playing baseball and sports in general, but man, I just dove right in and I put in my book, I was like, you couldn't have known it at the time, but you transformed my life forever. Like the, right. the way that, the way that I do things, the way that I am obviously a fan, that's part of it, but um, it's just <laughs> affected me in so many ways and friendships and opportunities. So definitely resonates with me. And it's really cool that, you know, your parents coming over and not really having the, maybe the knowledge or the background into the sport, but seeing the passion that you had from it after that first game, like you talked about and still supporting you. Like, I think that just says something about their character. Whereas like, you know, there's, there's people out there where they're a little, I think, resistant to, or hesitant to support things that they don't understand. Right. Like they, they don't, um, if you don't have the information, then why am I going to support something? But your parents trusted you, you know, eight year old you to say like, Hey, this is, this is something I get, I get um, 
enjoyment out of and this is something that I want to do and how can I keep doing it and so I just think that's a really cool aspect to the story as well you know I'm, I'm looking at some bats that my parents bought me <clears throat> back in the you know 73 74 <clears throat> and you know whatever I needed <clears throat> whatever that needed they, they they got for me and <clears throat> you know I get choked up thinking about it because um again I trust when I tell you I would not be anywhere in my life without my parents. And, and they didn't know if I had any ability, any ability in baseball or not. I was, <laughs> right, right. and no, I did. I said, I want to be a pro baseball. Okay. It was that simple. <clears throat> Excuse me. It really was. And, you know, I, uh, unfortunately my mom, um, she passed uh, 32 years ago. Um, and, and uh, she had stomach cancer. She was 48 years old. Oh, wow. And um, I, I remember, and my dad passed 16, going well, on 17 years ago, but my mom um, was a huge sports fan. I mean, they were big boxing fans and soccer fans, but once I got involved in baseball, man, my mom knew every stat, every, they knew, she knew what kind of shoes, are, my, like one of my favorite players was Lee Mazzilli, who works for the Yankees now. Yeah. Um, she knew he wore Adidas and I still wear number 16 to this day because of Lee and, and I met Lee several times. And, but anyway, uh, she was a huge fan and, but they were so supportive of me. And, um, you know, when my mom passed, I'll never forget. Um, I, as much support as I had from my parents, I didn't have a lot of support from some other family members who were, who were pretty bad, but they always used to tell me time to quit baseball, grow up and be a man. You're never going to make it. You're, quit buffaloing yourself and be realistic and all that garbage. And when my mom passed, this one idiot relative of mine said some of those things to me at the funeral. And I was saying, what does, what does baseball have to do with anything right now? You know? And right. Right. So I remember being at the casket calling and I, I remember kissing my mom and that's the first time she never kissed me back. And I was so sad. And, and my dad came over to me and I, I could care less about baseball at that time. Matter of fact, I, I was done. I really didn't want to pursue it anymore because one of the big joys that I got was making my parents proud of me and seeing their reaction. So when uh, I just said to hell with it, I'm done. I'm just going to get a job somewhere and move on with my life because I have no desire for baseball or anything else. And my dad came over to me and he said, I know what you're thinking. I'll never forget this Colin. He said, I know what you're thinking and you can't. He said, your mom wants you to continue your dream, to continue our dream. And you promised her that you would. And I swear to you, Colin, not to be dramatic about it, but you know, you start hearing the Rocky music. You really do you, know, you hear that horn and, and you say, okay. And, you know, thank God. Not that time I was 23. I was coaching in high school. Um, but, you know, I was pretty far away from the pro dream that we had. But uh, I, I promised mom that I wouldn't quit. And, and I didn't. And uh, thank God things went the way they did. Yeah. Uh, it just, again, reiterates the support throughout and how much of an impact and how powerful you know, that can be, whether you're an eight-year-old kid or a 23-year-old kid, like your parents are so influential, like from Very much so. uh, an adult uh, kid relationship perspective, however you want to look at it. So let's talk a little bit then more about, you know, you grinding through and, um, you know, just figuring all this out, regardless of what the, the naysayers are saying to you. How did you ultimately decide, like, what were, I, you know, I think, like when, when we're talking about career paths and we talk about like how we get to a certain point, like how we got here today, for example, and it could be, you know, really simple to just assume that, you know, you, Claudio, you've had this super easy life now for, I think you said you've been there since 2005, right? At, uh, at Carnegie. Yeah. yeah so, um, you know, for, for 15 plus years now, and uh, it obviously wasn't always like that. And so what I always like to do is dive a little bit deeper and understand, you know, not only how you got to that place, but like, also, how did you know, or what helped you figure out, like, what was going to fulfill you? What was going to make you happy? Because like, if the dream when you're an eight year old boy is to play professional baseball, right. and then at some point you figure out that you can't play professional baseball, but you still want to be in professional baseball. And then maybe that dream doesn't come true in some other capacity. Like how, how do you stay involved in the sport and understand like, okay, where do I fit in? Maybe it's not exactly what I thought it was going to be when I was eight, but how do I get to a place where I'm happy? Yeah. Great question. Um, as far as, yes, obviously I wanted to play. And my mom used to say, if there was a ball in the air, you could be sure Claudio was underneath it. I mean, that's all <laughs> I did. Then I'm in my room. 
Um, I don't think my, my parents were too happy about it, but I drew a wall, like a Fenway Park wall <laughs> on, my, on my wall, and I would get a stick. It was a you know, wooden stick, and I'd get an old car lighter, and I'd put tape on it, and I would throw it to myself, and I'd hit it. You know, there's still, I still live in the same house I grew up in. There's nicks in the ceiling upstairs where my daughter's room is now for me doing it. And my dad used to have a landscape business and I used to practice switch hitting. He used to hit, uh, he used to have, some of these properties had apples on them. So I hit apples or rocks, right? Okay. But um, I, I was a good player. I was very good. I had a blessed with a good arm. I could run, I could hit, um, but I could play multiple positions. But long story short, I, I didn't make it. Um, phys, you know, my size five, six and a half doesn't, doesn't help. Um, and plus the three tryouts I had, two of them, I was hurt. The third one, I was completely healthy. I just bombed. And um, I was, I said, where am I going to go now? I had already had five years as a volunteer assistant at my old high school. Um, and then the coach, Rich Wozniki, said, why don't you just stay with me as a coach? I said, okay, get, you know, I'll give it a shot that way. Then, unfortunately, he got into a car accident and he had to miss a year. So... I slid in as the uh, new head coach. I was 23 years old. I was the youngest coach in the league. And now I think I'm the second oldest in college, but at least in our, in our area. But, um, and I got the bug Colin. I mean, I went, I just went, you know, I always, I always liked studying coaches, but never really thought about coaching myself too, too much, even though I was an assistant coach. Okay. I still had that playing, but, but then when I, whenever I, uh, became whenever I became head coach it bit me like I cannot begin to tell you and I said that this is it that's what I want to do so I uh climbed the coaching ladder um went to coaching college in my first year as a college head coach at age 25 and won a championship uh, on my dad's birthday October 8th and the two-year anniversary of my mom passing October 8th and um and then I I never forget we were winning 13 to nothing at the time and I looked at the the football field. And I looked at this agricultural building and for some reason, right in the middle, I looked and I said, here I am 25 years old. And man, I won a championship my first year as a head coach in college, the pro teams, pro organizations are going to beat the doors down to hire me. And it took another 11 years before I got my first pro job, but it, it was a lot of rejections, you know, um, well over a hundred, you know, cause I kept minor league teams and major league teams and, just contacting everybody over and over and you get the same response. Thank you for your interest in the Dodgers, but the position that you're currently applying for is being filled. We will keep your name and file uh, best in baseball. And they all said the same things like the same person wrote that same damn letter, you know? Yeah. yeah. And um, then finally uh, in uh, 2001, and there's a story behind it, but we can get to it later if you want, but uh, I, I, November of 99, I kept, I, I saw an ad for overseas baseball. So, uh, from a company called Global Scouting Bureau. And I said, well, you know, I can speak Italian and maybe that might help somehow. Um, so I contacted a guy named James Gamble, uh, the first week of November until the, till January of 2001, I contacted him at least two times a month, at least. And then he calls me, I'll tell you the story real quick. Then he, he, he he calls me in January, 2001. And I'll never forget. He said, Claudio, don't do backflips, but I have a job offer for you. I said, wow. <laughs> and, and there were some big numbers and I'm like going crazier. My daughter's going to be born in May. And, you know, I wasn't, uh, I was, as a matter of fact, I, as I said, I was climbing the ladder of coaching pretty quick. And then I, I was at Duquesne university and I division one. I left there for a couple of years. I was nowhere. Then I got a job at Quigley Catholic high school, which I loved coaching there for $800 a year. Wow. Okay. Then, but I was still, my dad had a landscape business. I said, and I was working with him, but that wasn't the dream. That wasn't the goal. Right. So James throwing all these numbers at me. And I said, can I get back to you? He said, Claudio, you've been calling me, contact me over two, three times a month for over a year. I'm giving you an opportunity of a lifetime. And you're telling me, can you call me back? <laughs> I said, you know, I just want to talk over my wife and this, that, and he said, okay. Well, the reason why I didn't take it, Colin, it was in Italy. And I didn't want to, I didn't want to move to Italy. I had family yeah. there and all that, but I didn't want to do that. Right. Yeah. So I remember my dad was downstairs and I said, dad, I got this offer to go to Italy. And he said, yeah, let's go. I said, dad, you don't understand. We'd have to live there for 10 months out of the year. The, the medical situation isn't as good as it is here. My dad had some health issues. I said, I don't think it's a good idea. Nah, I'll be fine. Let's go. I said, mm -hmm. damn. So then I said, I'll wait for my wife to come home. 
she'll say no because our daughter's going to be born in May. And so I said, Lynn, I said, uh, I got this offer. She said, let's go. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm upset now. I said, geez, they want to go. I might be selfish. You know, I got to be a good provider here soon and all this kind of stuff, Colin. And so I went for, I remember a couple of days later, I went for a walk at Three River Stadium back to that place again, which I love. And for over two hours, it was freezing out. I went for a walk for over two, three hours. And I came home because I was thinking about it, thinking about it, thinking about it. And my dad said, where were you? I said, I was at the stadium. He said, you were thinking about that job, weren't you? I said, yeah. He said, look, if you have to think about an offer like that, that long, then it's not for you. And I turned it down. And then I thought James was going to tell me to get lost. He said, well, how would you like to work for me? I said, well, hell, that's what I wanted to do to begin with, right? right. So I've been with him ever since. But, you know, there was a lot of ups and downs um, before that, um, before CME, before the Global Scouting Bureau. I mean, a lot of rejections and people, you know, kind of making fun of you. Uh, you're a long way off from where you want to be. And, and people really made you know about it, and especially sure. family members. And, and uh, then you see some people kind of climbing the ladder that you feel that you're better than. And yeah, it bothers you. But you know what? I was persistent. You know, I was, uh, for many reasons, for my parents, you know, my, you talk about what makes you happy. What made me happy was I wanted, I love the game, but I also liked making my parents proud. And I also liked upsetting those people who told me that I couldn't <laughs> make it. Not that yep. they didn't think that I would call them, but they didn't want me to. And there's a difference, but sure, sure. I just can't. And they have no idea how much they helped me because as much love and as much as I wanted to make it for my parents, for the lack of a better term, make it, I also wanted to show those people who didn't want me to do anything in baseball that I could, that I would. And, and again, so many rejection letters, so many hurts and so many um, negative things that happened. And then, you know, having my disappointing, not disappointing my parents, but not being able to tell them, Hey, you know, I, this is going to happen finally. And, and, um, I mean, again, I was coaching, I was working with my dad, I was accomplishing things in the coach in baseball, but it wasn't the ultimate goal. And right. uh, it's just been a story of persistence, not giving up, falling down six times, rising seven, using your worst enemy to be your best ally. Um, and of course, love my parents, as I said. And then, you know, also, let's face it, you know, you have to make money and, and uh, that was important. You know, I have a family to raise and, and so that was part of that dangling carrot as well and uh, put sure, all sure. those together and here I am talking to you. <laughs> no, it's, it's amazing. And uh, yeah, I think you got that Michael Jordan killer instinct in you a little bit and just the persistence to be able to, I think we can all relate to whether we're in sports, we're in the corporate world. I mean, those generic rejection letters that we all get at one point or another and to not give up and to continue to keep going. Once you identify something that you love, sometimes it's worth it to, to keep taking those hits, you know, like, like you talked about yeah. and, uh, and ultimately end up in a position like you are. Uh, there's a couple things from that that I'd like to ask you to dive a little bit deeper into. Uh, the first one is probably the simpler one. You mentioned just having the itch to coach and having a lot of different influencers uh, when you were at that age. And I'm sure, you know, throughout who are some of the people that, whether it was when you first got started coaching or, you know, over the years since you've been doing it, who are some of those people that like off the top of your head, you're like, okay, I tried to model some of my coaching off of this guy, this girl. Uh, I tried to, you know, borrow some of their philosophies here and there. Anybody coming to mind that you could share with us? Geez, that, that's a, that, that's a great question. And um, love answering that because these people are so important in my life and, and some of them have become friends. And I think what it was, was you're attracted to somebody because you're similar to them. Um, I think if you try to be like somebody, it doesn't work, but if you're similar, similar to them, then there's more of an easy uh, connection, I guess, for lack of a better term. But the first guy was Chuck Knox. Chuck Knox was the, uh, should be in the hall of fame, coach of the LA Rams, Buffalo Bills, Seattle Seahawks, and back to the Rams. Uh, he grew up with him. My dad grew up together and I knew Chuck ironically about a week or well, about two weeks prior to me going to that first game, August 19th, 1973. So that August was, had a lot of ton of impact on me. And Chuck was like an uncle to me. He um, used to come to our house every summer and it was like a holiday. And 
So, so Chuck was one that had a lot of impact. Uh, Jim Valvano. Um, Jim was, became a friend in 87 and I still have a ton of his letters. I remember a lot of his phone calls and he was always very supportive. And he used to say, for those of you who don't know, Jim Valvano was the head coach of NC State, uh, 1983 basketball champions. And, and probably unfortunately more known now for his, his speech, his famous don't give up speech and the Jimmy V cancer fund. But Jimmy used to say that his favorite word in the English dictionary was the word impact. So Jimmy had a ton of impact. I mean, John Calipari, the, he's also a friend. Uh, he's a university. If they're Italian, they're probably, and they're coaching, they're probably a friend of mine. <laughs> but um, so John's the head coach at University of Kentucky basketball. And he's meant a lot to me. Um, Herm Edwards, the uh, football coach at uh, Arizona State University, is another guy. There's a lot of great, uh, everybody studied Vince Lombardi and Rick Petito. And um, so there's a lot of guys that uh, you know, just off the top of my head, Joe Torrey, um, you know, read a lot about him and, and Chuck Tanner, a former pirate manager, had a lot of influence on me as well. But those guys, I studied them. I study all kind of coaches, but those guys the most. And, and, you know, you, again, I think the reason why that I was attracted to Valvano and Calipari is because they're very demonstrative. They're very passionate about what they do. They're not to sit, they're not, they're not to sit on the bench, cross their legs, which is nothing wrong with that. If that's who you are, that's not who I was or am as, as a coach, you know, I coached third base for my team. I put on at least three to six miles, depending if it's a single or a double header. Uh, I pace, you know, I'm very, <laughs> um, you know, I'm, I'm emotional very passionate about what I do. I just, I could never sit, and I've tried to just sit there and I can't do it, but those guys, I uh, was very attracted to them, but more, more importantly than their, their coaching is, is the type of people they are. Um, that's what attracted me the most is the type of people they are. You can be the greatest athlete, greatest coach in the world. If I don't think you're a good person, then I'm not going to follow you. I'm not going to study you. I'm not going to try to emulate you. I'm not going to have anything to do with you. Doug Collins was another guy okay. who had a lot of impact in my life. He used to coach the Chicago Bulls when uh, yep. Jordan was there and some other teams. So those guys had a ton of impact on me, ton of impact. Sorry to interrupt, but I want to help you get fit. Christine here from Sweat with Sods. Being at home has a lot of people in a rut with their workouts, but you don't have to be. My HIT at home workouts require no equipment and can be done in 30 minutes or less. And if HIT isn't for you, I also design custom programs that can be done virtually, in person, or a combination of both. I put my years of experience teaching classes and personal training into all of my programs. I've worked with lots of people and helped them achieve very different goals. So what are you waiting for? Head to sweatwithstats.com today. And don't forget that as a listener to this podcast, you can get a discount with code DYNAMIC at checkout. Can't wait to hear from you. And now, back to the show. Yeah, and this is a really good segue to, uh, we're going to get to your book here in just a minute. But before we talk about it, you've started to open up a little bit about your coaching profile and the type of coach that you are. And you mentioned being a good person, uh, showing a little bit of that Italian emotion. I can totally relate to that. What are, what are some of the other attributes and that aspects that you bring to the table? Like if I asked one of your players to describe you as a coach, what do you think they would say, or how would you describe the way that, that you coach and in the way that you um, you know, eventually are going to lead into us talking a little bit more about your book and your leadership philosophies. You know, it, it's funny you say that. And another guy, I, I forgive me, Dick Vermeil, Super Bowl winning coach, who's had a lot of impact in my life. And he's going to be on my show in a couple of weeks. But um, you would ask the players that. And I did ask the players that when I wrote my book. My book is a three-part book. The first part are stories that happened to me as a coach. The middle part of the book are Q&As that I've received. And uh, the end of the book is about 25 former players giving me testimonials. And I think the string, the theme is that I cared for them. I was approachable. Um, they were more to me than just players. So Dick Vermeil, I heard him once say, the players or your employees won't care how much you know until I know how much you care. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you would hope that when you're on a certain level that everybody is pretty close to being the, you know, they know their X's and O's. Okay, that's fine. But how do you treat people? Um, I was blown away by the things that my former players remembered um, and some of the quotes they remember or some of the actions that I did or whatever it is that I did for them. And so I would say that they know that I cared and still do. Um, We still keep in touch with a lot of them Um, that I was very emotional and passionate about my teams. 
uh, I was, um, if, if, if I did something, if I messed up, I accepted it. And, and I think, but my, you know, I, there's a story about that in the book and it's pretty good, but, um, they, they would just say, Hey, he cared for us. He, he was, he was emotional. He was passionate about the game. He wanted to win like crazy, but at the same time, he cared about us as individuals on the field and off. Yeah, that's so cool. And I think gets overlooked way too often, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, especially because it goes back to what we talked about in the beginning of our conversation when we were talking about the impact that your parents made on you as an eight-year-old, as a 23-year-old, and I'm sure, you know, through throughout the entirety of their lives with you. And it's the same thing with coaches. I mean, whether you're five years old and you're playing t-ball for the first time, or you're 18 years old and you're on the varsity team, or you're in college, 22, getting ready to graduate, the impact that a coach, the adult in the room, the adult on the field, the adult in the dugout can make on a kid, I think is something that gets overlooked. Uh, and we see that, I think, with the the culture, quite frankly, that exists now in sports where the kids don't want to work as hard as they did in the past. And they they feel this sense of entitlement. And this isn't like the old man, you know, get off my lawn type conversation. <laughs> I mean, these are these are real issues, real challenges that that we're facing. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that we just haven't I don't think we've taken enough care or put enough resources into helping coaches develop as I'm leaders. I'm with you a thousand percent. Matter of fact, that's one of the reasons where I wrote the book. I'm looking at a bat right now from a young man who called, I didn't coach him. And he called me up. He said, coach, uh, can I come over to your house? I want to talk to you about something. I said, sure. Now I, I knew him. I didn't know him really well, but I knew him well enough. And this kid was about six, three built like a linebacker. A very good baseball player. And I said, you know, what's going on? He said, I hate baseball. I hate the team, the college team I play for. And I hate the coach. And I said, well, why? What, what's going on? He said, if we lose or if we, if we make a, several mistakes, he makes us run at this one particular place here in Pittsburgh until somebody gets sick. I said, what? He goes, yeah. He said, and we're all afraid to make a mistake because we know that's what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know, I always say, don't punish, fix. Uh, if a kid messes up, I mean, the only time I'll get on a player, Collins, if he disrespects me or disrespects the team or a player, you know, embarrasses a player, that's it. You know, if you give me everything you have, I'm not going to get on you. And, sure. and, and not to, well, we can tell that story if you want later, but, you know, I, look, as a leader, you're going to make mistakes too. I have made mistakes and I illustrate that in my book on field mistakes, you know, game calling mistakes. So do you want people to get on you about that? No, you know, but I, I, um, I you're exactly right. You know, you want, as I said, I want to create a good culture out. If we have practice at six, I don't want my players to look at their watch and say, Oh man, I got practice at six. I got to go see Claudio. <laughs> Nor do I want to say, man, it's six o'clock. I got to see Colin. I don't want that. <laughs> right. you know, why can't we all get along? Why can't we, you know, enjoy this? You know, it, it may sound corny, but it's, it's the truth. And, you know, and, and, you know, one of the questions that I had was um, paraphrasing, you know, I don't want anybody to walk on me. Well, hell, I, I would never let anybody walk on me. Never in a million years. That's just not how I'm wired. But the, the, now if I'm nice, I tell my guys, my kindness, don't mistake my kindness for being weak. Sure. And I've had to snap on some players. As a matter of fact, some of them have been my best players and some of them have become like my best friends now, which is crazy. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, I, I'm with you. I think a lot of these coaches, I think they'd be good to listen to a show like yours or, or to be honest with you, read a book like mine and we all need to get better, you know, and, and uh, the reason why I included one of the testimonials in the back of the book was to show that, my formula for the lack of a better term or my way of doing things does work. You can, you can win. You don't have to be a mean guy. You don't have to be a tough guy. You don't have to always make things miserable and mad and, and negative. And, and you listen to me, it's my way or the highway. You don't have to do that. You know that? And, and if you do have a bad apple, you know what you do with them, Colin, you get, you, you try to communicate them and make it better. And if it doesn't, then you get rid of them. An employee, <laughs> a, a player, whatever. Simple yeah. as that. 
Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's all great insight. And so we've touched on a number of different topics that are sprinkled throughout your book, I'm sure. And so the title of the book, again, lead from the heart up, not the neck up. I think that is such an interesting title given (laughs) what we've talked about with you and some of the emotion that you display. So talk to us a little bit about, you know, just how, how the book came about, like who the book's for, give us a little insight, you know, into what we haven't maybe discussed to this point yet. Well, the title comes from my mom. My mom used to say, never speak from the neck up, speak from the heart up. In other words, be passionate, care about what you're saying, mean what you say, don't be fake. And because when you're fake, you're speaking from the neck up. Hey, Colin, how are you? That's great. Okay, talk to you later. You know, that's, that's you know, what do they call that? Uh, small talk. You know, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You, know, <laughs> you know, if I say, hey, Colin, how you doing? And you start to tell me and all of a sudden I, I leave you. Well, hell, I didn't really care what you, what, what, how you're doing. Right. So that's where the title came from. As far as the book's concerned, stories like that young man that I told you, um, about and then just noticing look I'm not here to pat myself on the back and say I'm the greatest thing in the world no but I've noticed some coaches and some leaders not just in sports but some people that I know that have worked for you know organizations businesses companies that you know just have been treated terribly every day to, to, be, to feel minimized to feel like you don't matter everything you say is wrong and I've been there and I include that in the book. I've been treated like that. Um, and so I figured, you know what? Let me write about this. Maybe it can help a leader. That's why it's not just a baseball book, not just a sports book, but it goes over to the office as well. That's why I included the, the subtitle, How to Create a Positive Winning Culture on the Field and in the Office. Basically, again, it's to treat people well. Because if you treat them well, Colin, they're going to go through a wall, underneath it, over it, sideways. Okay. And don't you want people to say, boy, you know, I really enjoyed playing for that guy, or I learned a lot from him, or, uh, you know, I, I just appreciated him. He made me better as an individual, as a player, as, a, as an employee, as opposed to, man, I couldn't stand him. I'm glad, I'm glad I'm away from him. And, and another thing, by, by treating people well, um, and this is a story real quick, uh, we were, it was on my birthday several years ago, about 10, 11 years ago. And uh, if we win this game, Carnegie Mellon baseball is the most wins that we've ever had. And this team, this particular team, deserved that because they were a great group of guys that worked their tails off. CMU hadn't had a winning season in in like 40-some-odd years, right? And um, and I'm not giving myself the credit for maybe a little bit, but not all all the credit. You have to have the horses. So, you know, we we had a nice season. And – and they were talking about winning the game for me because it was my birthday. And I'm thinking I want to win the game because they deserve it. So that's the, how nice that was. But anyway, we're losing 8 nothing, And then we, I hear guys, man, we got to win this game. It's coach's birthday. This, that. We made a big-time comeback, and we tied it up, Colin, 8-8. And I have something that baseball coaches normally don't have time to do, and that's think. There was a pitching change. So I tell the guy, the young man at second base, I said, look, they're going to be playing up. If we, if, you know, if you score, we win the game, right? But they're, they're playing up. If it goes to left field, the left fielder has no arm whatsoever, and the ball's a little wet, I'm sending you. There's two outs. If it goes to uh, center field, you're going to get a good jump. I'm sending you because the center fielder has no arm. But if it goes to right field, Brett, I am not sending you because that guy, not only is he playing up, he's already thrown one of our runners out today. And he's got a cannon for an arm. And anyway, we have our number one, our leadoff hitter up, number two hitter up, number three hitter up after you. Okay, so we're in good shape. I am not going to send you. Do you hear me? Yeah, coach, I got it. If it goes anywhere, I'm saying, but if it goes to right field, I am not going to send you. You got it. Yeah, coach. Okay. I got it. I got it. That's okay. Well, Colin, the ball was hit to right field. So what do you think your guest on today's show did? I sent him. I sent him. He was thrown out by so many, by so much that the catcher had to go get him. And I'm not kidding you. And I felt about an inch high. I tell my guys very simply, and I, I can still see them heading to the field. And I say, hey, guys, I screwed up. Get me out of this. And I just told my player, I just said it myself. I had time to think. Don't, if it goes to right field, very simple. Do not go. And the ball was hit directly to him. And, man, he, I, I, like an idiot, I got caught in the emotion. So 
Um, we lose the game, Colin. We lose the game. So as custom, we go to the outfield lines, left field lines for their post-game talk. And usually I run down to the line. This time I didn't run. I, I walked. And I always wear sunglasses when I coach. And I went down there and I had my hands on my knees and I bent over. And my glasses were catching my tears. I said, guys, I'm sorry. I said, I blew this game for you. And this story is in the book. I blew the game for you. You guys deserve that win. You guys deserve to be the first winning team ever, the most wins ever at CMU. And I blew it for you. My emotion, I, I, I just totally screwed up. And I'm sorry. And I told him I'm embarrassed. I said, I'm sorry. And I, I couldn't look at him. I, I was still looking at the ground, but I said my glasses were catching my, my tears. and It was all blurry. And one of my, my pitchers said, Coach, if I would have pitched better, we would have won. My catcher, Brian Tabata, he said, Coach, and the pitcher's name was John Cohen's. The, pitch, the catcher said, Coach, if I would have gotten a hit with the bases loaded in the third inning, we would have won. My shortstop said, Coach, if I wouldn't have missed that ball, we'd have won. My center fielder said, if I'd have stolen that base, we'd have won. And if I was bad with them, Colin, if I was miserable with them, or if I was arrogant with them, or when they made a mistake, I embarrassed them, they said, maybe not verbally, but they said, look at him. Good for him. Let him fry in his own juices. Now he knows what it feels like to mess up and have eyes on him. And now he knows how bad it feels like, you know, I'm trying to say that. Yeah. So I never did that to them. So then they blame themselves. They blame themselves. So, you know, again, you know, yes, I'm the leader of the team. Yes, I call the shots. Yes, this. Yes. Okay, great. But at the same time, it's also up to me to be the signature of that team, to, to not give up, to fight and all that kind of stuff. That's great. But you also want to create a good atmosphere, something that, that's positive, um, teach them, don't, don't, you know, fix, don't punish, treat them well, care for them. And you know what? They'll in turn, they'll do it back to you. And I'll never forget that moment. And I'll never forget that group of players. And um, because you are going to mess up, we're all going to mess up. You do not want to embarrass anybody. You don't want to be embarrassed, you know? And, and again, if I was bad with those guys, it would not have been the same thing. They would not have blamed themselves. I know that for a fact. Yeah, that's an amazing story. And there's two things that are really standing out to me. The first is, I think, as a society, we often get a little too caught up in trying to place all the blame on you know one play or one person or if you're in the corporate setting, you know, this, this one element of a presentation as to why we didn't get a sale, for example, you know, try to place blame somewhere because we have to make sense of failure, right. Versus, you know, saying that, Hey, there's multiple reasons why we didn't get the result that we're looking for today. And that leads to the second important part of this is the accountability piece, the ownership piece of, of all of this. And, your story actually reminds me of a story I wrote in my book about Joe Girardi in the 2017 playoffs when they're facing Cleveland and there's the infamous, I guess, uh, foul tip strike three that Gary Sanchez catches when Chad Green's pitching and yeah, yeah. Uh, Ronnie Azario, I think, is, is the batter. Uh, long story short, Girardi doesn't challenge the call it gets called a hit by pitch instead of a foul tip it actually did hit the knob of the bat replay showed that but Girardi didn't get the replay in in time and before anyone knew what was happening uh it was uh Lindor I'm pretty sure who hit a grand slam and cut the Yankee lead to eight to seven the Yankees there the Indians excuse me ended up tying the game in the I think the eighth or ninth inning and then they won the game in extra innings. They went up 2-0 in the series. The Yankees came back to win that series. But the point is that there was that one moment and the media and everybody tried to place blame on Girardi yeah. for that. And he knew that was going to happen. And so what did he do? Not only did he accept the responsibility and take ownership for it because it is his team and he is the coach and he did make a mistake, but he did that publicly. And then he did it even what was even more powerful in the story is he did it in the clubhouse. And he didn't wait for like the series to be over. For example, it was right after game two in the clubhouse when he knew he was going to go take some hits in the media and Didi Gregorius tells the story. And he says, you know, Joe came into the clubhouse and he said, Hey guys, I messed up. That's on me. We need yeah. to move. We need to move forward. We got a game in New York. 
we could still win this series, but this is on me. I'm, I apologize for it. Uh, don't, you know, don't beat yourselves up too much about it and everything. And that just takes like that pressure off, right? Like, yes, you want people, you want your players to recognize when they've made mistakes and when they've contributed to failure, because you can learn from that and you can get better, but you also don't want them to dwell over their mistakes. I mean, if Girardi doesn't have that moment, you know, maybe the Yankees don't come back and win that series. And if they don't come back and win that series, you know, the, the current core that we know today, three years later, maybe that doesn't exist because they never got a chance to be hot and to go to game seven of the ALCS that year and almost make the world series. So uh, there's just, there's so many parallels to your story and Girardi's story. I was the whole time I'm thinking of like, wow, that's, it's so crazy. (laughs) He was, he was born October 14th, same year as me. So he's he's Italian. I like Joe Girardi. I hated to see him go leave the Yankees. Hated that, but yeah. Love Joe Girardi. But there was a guy that again, included my book and I won't go into a story, but totally butchered this game, totally butchered the game. And I don't think this story's in there, um, but maybe it is. I don't remember. But um, he he blamed everybody but himself, and it was so obvious <laughs> that he's the one who blew this game. I was an assistant with him, and for him to blame the player, and everybody's looking at each other like, "Are you kidding me?" And you know that resonates to, with them. You know, not only good things resonate with you, but bad things resonate with you as well. Yeah. And you lose the room. You lose the room. You, you're done when you do something like that. And yeah. But, um, you know, like I said, how hard is it to treat people well? I mean, you know, the old golden rule, treat people the way you want to be treated. Yeah, absolutely. I think that is the key highlight to this whole conversation is everything that we've talked about comes back to treating people the right way. And if you can't do that, then you don't have the opportunity to do everything else that you want to do because you're not going to last long enough to have that opportunity. You just won't be able to do it. You won't connect with your players. You won't connect with your employees. You'll, you'll either leave or someone will force you to leave yeah, <laughs> at some right. point is the way I see it. <laughs> or even, even if you own the company, you know, it's just knowing that you're going to go back to the, in the office tomorrow and people are going to be mad at you and they don't like you. So I don't care if they like me or not, as long as they respect me and produce. Well, (laughs) I don't know if that works anymore. Yeah. I don't know if people are going to respect you and I don't know if they're going to want to stay. There's going to be a lot of turnover in your business, a lot of turnover in your company. And that's not good. And you know who, in all honesty, who wants to be hated? Even if you're not one of the questions I had, um, again, paraphrasing this one guy said, look, I'm not a very emotional guy. Um, I'm not a real talkative guy, so I'm probably not going to be the type of leader that you are, but I still, that's, that, then that's, that's fine. Don't be fake. I've known people who are miserable and they try to be nice that one day, you know, damn well that they're being fake, but you still, you can be a quiet guy. You can be a rather reserved person or just a straight numbers cruncher type guy, but that doesn't mean that, you know, if somebody's having a problem, you can't be there for them. It doesn't mean that you can't show some heart once in a while, or at least be nice a little bit. You don't have to be, you know, uh, overly because then they'll think you're fake, but maybe get out of your comfort zone, work on that a little bit, you know, create a good positive atmosphere. Because if you do, people aren't going to, Hey, I worked in a facility one time where the guy was just a jerk. He was terrible at what he did. Real arrogant guy. I used to, my lessons would start at three. I'd be there at two fifty nine, and I'm not kidding. I'd wait in the car, you know, and I'm never late for anything, but I, I would just wait in the car until that door would open. You know, I just didn't want to see the guy. And, you know, I said, I don't want any of my players to ever to, to do that. Or like, Hey, I'm sure you've had a two con. You, you get a, uh, a phone call and it's from somebody that you don't particularly want to hear from. He's oh man, this guy's calling me again, or he's texting me. You know, we we all have it, right? Mm-hmm. And or you get an email from us. Oh man, I don't want to hear from this guy. I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be that guy because your players will not, your employees or players will not perform at their best as an individual or as a team. They just won't. I mean, I know when I've been treated bad, that was included in the book. Um, I did not want to be around those coaches. I did not perform as well as I could have. Maybe you say, well, you know what? Try even harder to throw it in their face. And I did, but then I was made fun of with things that I said. And um, just, uh, again, just a lot of, just made me feel like a complete idiot. I was stripped of a lot of my confidence by this one particular guy. And I allowed it to happen. Eleanor Roosevelt said, nobody can, um, nobody can upset you. I think she said, nobody can bother you unless you give them your consent. And I gave him my consent. Uh, obviously, but 
um, again, try to create a good atmosphere. It would be better for the, your employees slash players and for you as a leader. Yeah, 100%. I, I love that. And I think that's an awesome way to end what's been a super interesting and uh, really awesome conversation. And I, I wish we had more time for this podcast today. I'm sure we'll, we'll connect and continue to stay in touch, but if people we'll do a part two, I'm ready, whatever you are. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And if people want to follow along with you, check out your book, uh, just see, you know, what's going on in your world. Can you give us, I know you have a website, social media, anything like that. Yeah. And I'll spell the website for you, but even if you spell it wrong, somehow it will come up, <laughs> but uh, it's my first and last name.com C L A U D I O r e i l s o n o dot com and uh there oh, you'll see my podcast on there where i interview a lot of sports legends you'll see my book um see some other things uh, you'll get to know me a little bit some articles and um also on twitter at claudio relsano and um you know that's that's it uh hopefully people get the book and enjoy it and uh send me a note tell me what you think and um I'm very proud of it. I'm, I'm never happy with what I do, Colin. I always think, oh, man, I should have said this or should have done that or, you know, whatever. But uh, the book I'm very happy with. And um, I think it'll have impact on people. I really do. Yeah, that's that's great. And I encourage people to check it out. The holidays are coming up. If you're looking for Christmas presents, just holiday presents, whoever it is in, in your life might be a good option to explore so definitely take a look. I can't wait to get your book either. I'm gonna check your book out. I didn't know you wrote one until today. Uh, being a Yankee fan, I'm real excited to read about your book. So uh, congratulations to you on that. It's not it's not an easy thing to do. <laughs> no. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. It is not easy. I tell people that all the time. Not to deter them from writing books, but it is uh, if you want to do it right as as you and I have, it definitely takes some time and some effort. So, I'm excited to check out your book and stay in touch Claudio and I again, I just appreciate so much the time that you took today to thank share you. your story, share your expertise with everyone. They're really going to enjoy this episode. Thank you. You ask great questions and I appreciate you having me on. Thank you so much. And again, looking forward to having you on my show.